This is the MLW Radio Network. Everybody, welcome to Overbooked with Mike Freeland. What is going on, everybody? It is Mike Freeland here for another installment of Overbooked. And as you know, we are covering hardcore history, the extremely unauthorized story of ECW. Now, it's been a while since we've had a uh, chapter review, and I do appreciate everybody bearing with me on this. Schedules and life and all that kind of stuff have been going on and getting a little crazy. For those of you who listen to Front Row Material, our main show, know that I'm in graduate school, so I'm doing my best to, to juggle graduate school and life and, uh, and everything else. But I'm really excited to be back here to talk about this episode, because this chapter in our book is completely dedicated to somebody who I've always been fascinated with, and he's a Cincinnatian, and I think it's going to make for a lot of things to talk about when we're done with this. And the chapter is going to be focusing on Brian Pillman. Now, I know everybody probably has their own opinions of Brian Pillman. Some of you guys have memories of him being in ECW. Some of you guys have memories of him being in WCW with the Hollywood Blondes and Steve Austin. And uh, some of you guys know that he was part of the Heart Foundation in WWF. But um, there's a lot to be said for the career of Brian Pillman. And, and obviously, we're not going to be able to cover everything as far as his career is concerned. But in this chapter, we're going to break down some things that uh, transpired in Brian's career between the years of 1995 and 1996. So without further ado, let's kind of jump right in here. So Brian Pillman actually was only in ECW for about two months between 1995 and 1996. During that time, Brian did not work any matches whatsoever. And prior to that, Brian was in WCW. So even prior to that, if we're going to go back even further, before Brian got into wrestling, he was actually a member of the Cincinnati Bengals in the late 1980s. Uh, Brian is a product, I believe, of Miami University here in uh, Ohio, not too far from where I currently reside. Um, Brian would become good friends with longtime Bengals strength coach Kim Wood. And as we kind of go along in this story in Chapter 9, you're going to hear a lot from Kim and how Kim played a very active role in Brian's life, not only from the time he was with the Bengals, but even through his time in professional wrestling. We're also going to be talking about how Pillman and Wood would conspire together to create one of the most compelling shoot work angles in wrestling history. And I know a lot of times people say, well, this is the biggest thing in 30 years, or this is the biggest thing in modern wrestling era. You know, And I think a lot of times storylines kind of get a little overinflated, but I think in this case, this one was really, really interesting. And if you were around to remember this specifically, I think you'll be able to appreciate Chapter 9 even more. And if you're not super familiar with Brian Pillman, I think this is going to be a really, really good launching spot for you to go ahead and check out his work on the WWE Network because Brian did a lot of things. Uh, he was crazy. He was referred to as loose cannon, and uh, you'll see why. So if we kind of jump into our time machine and jump back to the year of 1995, Brian was under contract with WCW. However, the person in charge of WCW at that time was 
Eric Bischoff. Now, Pillman during this time was a mid-card guy, but Bischoff was keeping him off of television. And Pillman had a very strong feeling that contract negotiations, which were coming up, weren't going to be going very well with Bischoff and that he was going to get lowballed. And Brian was at a point in his time of his career where he was actually ready to sign a, a pretty decent pretty decent contract. Uh, the things that he had gone through in WCW, the ups and the downs, and, and we're going to kind of go into some of those right now, had really kind of frustrated Brian. And he always felt like he had put in a lot of work. He always felt like he was one of the guys that would go out there and, and put his heart and soul on the line each and every night, but unfortunately never properly get recognized by upper WCW management for what he was doing. And one thing Kim Wood would honestly tell everybody is that Brian was genuinely a tough guy and he was fearless. So when you look back and you look at the things that, the, the clips either on YouTube or the stuff that he did in the WWF slash WWE and the stuff he did in ECW, you know, that really wasn't as much a character as it really was who Brian was as a person. Brian actually started out uh, after he got out of the NFL. He started his wrestling career uh, going up to Calgary, and he trained with the Hart family, with uh, Stu Hart in the Hart Dungeon. So this kind of plays into his relationship with the Hart family, and as a lot of you guys know, he became a member of the Hart Foundation in the mid to late 90s in the WWF. Well, it was all because he was trained by Stu he was really ingratiated himself within the Hart family, so he was almost kind of like a surrogate son at that point. Uh, a lot of ribbing had gone on in uh, Stampede Wrestling. You know, we would hear the jokes that Owen Hart would uh, be one of the big pranksters, and that's where a lot of guys got the ribbing from. You know, guys who would come from Calgary, come from Stampede Wrestling under Stu Hart, the interactions they would have with the Hart family. And that's where a lot of this, this healthy ribbing kind of originated from. So one night when Brian was in Stampede Wrestling, the guys decided that they were going to pull a joke on Pillman. And they sent a really big bodybuilder, just huge guy. And uh, I don't know what exactly they told him. It wasn't listed here in the book. But um, he was supposed to take care of Brian Pillman in the locker room, rough him up, shake him up, scare him a little bit. And uh, everybody was waiting outside. Well, you hear some things behind the door. The door opens up. Brian walks out. And from what the story is, Brian went crazy on this guy and actually took out his eye. So um, that's uh, not something that you typically hear very often. But Brian was fearless. And, and this is what Kim Wood would continue to say, was that Brian might not have been the biggest guy, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're not the toughest or the meanest. You know, uh, the dog that wins the fight doesn't necessarily always have to be the biggest one. But that was kind of the way Pillman was. If he saw a challenge, then he was definitely going to go after it with 100%. So he gets out of football, decides to go into pro wrestling, trains with the, the Hearts and Stu Hart in the dungeon, starts learning the world of wrestling and ribbing and whatnot, and it was interesting because when Pillman then got done training, he got signed to work for WCW, and which was a really exciting time for Brian. But in the midst of it, things kind of uh, things kind of got a little sour. Brian started to get kind of cold feet when he was in WCW, 
And Wood remembers a call he got in the middle of a night back in 1989. And Brian was frantic on the phone. He said, he said, Kim, I'm fucked. I'm screwed. I can't handle this in WCW. And Kim said, calm down, Brian. What's going on? Tell me what's, what's the problem. It's not the wrestling. I can handle the wrestling. I can handle the physicality. And Brian was now, you know, accustomed to ribbing and all that. But what he could not handle was somebody who took a liking to him. And that was world champion Ric Flair. So you're probably asking yourself, well, how is that a problem? Like, why is that a problem if the world champion likes you? That can only help open doors for you. You know, that can only, you know, be a, a really good stamp of approval for you. Well, yes and, and no in the case of Brian Pillman. So as Brian would say, every night after they got done wrestling, they would go out to the bar. And Brian said, I would pour out two-thirds of the drinks that Rick would order for me. And I was still shit-faced. I was piss-ass drunk. I could barely move. And that's with pouring out two-thirds of the drinks that Flair had given him. And he would say, I'd wake up in the morning, and it hurt to move. And then the phone would ring in my room at 7 a.m., and it would be Rick ready to go to the gym. And he said, I just can't handle this. Rick's taking me out every single night. I can't live the Rick Flair lifestyle. A lot of us have heard stories about Rick and... You know, a lot of times you hear stories and legends, and, and they often get inflated, you know? A, a fish story, as I like to refer to them as. You know, somebody catches a fish, and every time you tell it, it gets a little more, you know, glamorous. But I think the stories we hear about Ric Flair, not only drinking, but partying, carousing, doing whatever he wanted, I think that was legit. I think there was a lot of times that Rick took partying to a level that most people physically could not handle and uh brian definitely was having a problem with that but uh, he says yeah wrestling was a cake but uh being around rick flair was not so that's that's interesting I, I i would love to get a chance to talk to rick and just hear some more of these legendary stories because it sounds like rick flair is just he's an anomaly you know he's one of these guys that doesn't come around very often well, for the next six years, Pillman had his ups and downs in WCW, along with being paired with multiple tag team partners. There were always seeming to be problems. Things weren't quite working out. Brian was getting frustrated. Flair still liked Pillman a lot. But Ole Anderson, who was the booker at the time, um, and then subsequently Bill Watts, neither one of those guys were very big on Pillman. They didn't see a future in him. They didn't think things were going to work out with him. They originally tagged him up with Tom Zink. That didn't last too terribly long. They finally tagged him up with Steve Austin. They became the Hollywood Blondes. And something happened differently with the Hollywood Blondes. They got over. They got over in a big way with the audience. And the guys in the locker room loved Brian. They loved how dedicated he was to not only wrestling, but WCW as a whole. And they were getting over. Well, because Bill Watts and Ole Anderson were not thrilled with Brian, they split him up. Steve Austin went on his singles run. As you know, he became the United States champion. And Pillman, once again, was uh, regulated to mid-card guy and, and maybe doing some tag stuff here and there. So it was, a, it was a real problem that every single time Brian seemed to get a little bit of momentum, it seemed to get taken away from him. Kim would also go on in the book to say Brian was the guy all the other guys wanted to be like. 
everyone had this thing for him. He got all the women, and he was legendary. So from what we understand here from his friend Kim Wood is that Brian was a real likable dude. You know, that's the impression I got as I was reading this chapter, that he was a likable dude, that he worked really hard, everybody had a good time around Brian. He liked to party, obviously not to the Ric Flair level. You know, he had no problem uh, with the ladies. But in 1995, Pillman, had his contract was about to expire. And at this time, you know, obviously it wasn't Bill Watson or Lee Anderson. At this point in time, it was going to be Eric Bischoff who was going to be negotiating a new contract with him. Well, Brian originally signed his first contract with the head of WCW, who is Kip Fry. But Brian was very lucky. Kip Fry gave him a really good deal, and he had a feeling that he was not going to get the same deal with Bischoff this time. So Brian realized that being a tag team wrestler with Tom Zink didn't really work out. They had a great run with the Hollywood Blondes, but that got nixed, and then... You know, Pillman was was regulated being a singles wrestler. Well, Bischoff had actually sent him home, and he was inactive. He was not working. He was not wrestling. And Pillman had a feeling. He said, you know what? They're trying to devalue me. And by keeping me off TV, by keeping me from working, when it comes negotiation time, you know, the other companies obviously haven't seen me, so they're not going to be willing to, you know, back up the Brinks truck. And obviously, Eric is not going to willing to pay me. So this is a problem. So Kim Wood uh, and Brian got on the phone one night, and they decided, man, there's got to be something that we can do. WCW doesn't really want to use me. Obviously, the other companies don't even know I'm around, you know, because I haven't been on television. So what could we do? Well, the first idea that Pillman came up with was because of his relationship with Kim. Kim was still in the NFL. Brian had worked for the Bengals. Is there any way you could get me some Super Bowl tickets? And Kim said, well... I could try. What, what's your thoughts? Brian wanted to go down and rush the field and handcuff himself to the goalpost. He thought that if he did that, he would get on TV. This crazy wrestler did this, and it would get some media attention. It would get some buzz, and it would be something that he could parlay into this wild and crazy, spontaneous persona that he was starting to imagine in his mind. Well, as, as much as friends as they were, he and Kim, Kim said, no way, I'm not going to be doing that. I'm not going to get you tickets because they're going to trace the tickets back. They're going to trace them to me, and then I gave them to you, and that could be a huge mess. So that didn't work. So the next idea that Pillman hatched out was, I got to find a way to have WCW and WWF both be looking at me at the same time. Where could be a third place that I could go that I would get recognized, I would get TV time, and then when my contract was up, I could get signed by somebody. So Brian was willing to try to find a way to get to ECW so he could get TV time, so he could either impress the WWF or show WCW that he was worth re-signing. But you're probably asking yourself this question. Isn't Brian at this time still under contract with WCW? Yes. So how is Brian going to get released from his contract to be able to initiate this master plan? Well, a couple things would happen. Also in 1995, every single year, they would have the National Association of Television Producers banquet, gala, whatever you want to refer to it as. 
And this is where a lot of the major network executives would be. And Vince McMahon was there as well. And the whole purpose of this banquet was that all of the executives of all of these networks would would be there and all of the producers of television programming would be there as well. They would hobnob with each other, they would share drinks, whatever, talk business, and try to get TV deals. Well, Brian decided he found out where it was, he went into the banquet, said he was representing WCW, and he took a camera with him. And he specifically had a goal in mind. He was going to have his picture taken with Vince McMahon. And this will play an integral role later on in our story. But Brian, during all this time when he's trying to hatch this plan, had always looked up to guys like Bruiser Brody. He'd always looked up to guys like Hawk and Animal of Legion of Doom. And he remembers one particular night because Brian obviously wasn't getting the push and he felt like he was really getting, you know... Kind of the kind of the poor treatment when it came to WCW. And Hawk said this: "If people are afraid of you, you'll usually get your way." You know. And Hawk and Animal would both go on to say, "You know what? When we were in different territories, we would just scare promoters, and eventually they would give into us." And they got that advice from Bruiser Brody, who would basically say, "Hey, you know, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, but if you can put enough fear into people." you can get them to do what you want. So this is another wrinkle into Brian's plan. So if I can be this crazy, spontaneous guy, but I can put enough fear into people, the likelihood of them saying no to me, to this wild man, is is very low. So I could probably get my way. So Brian's here at this uh, National Association for Television Producers gala, gala, whatever you want to call it, banquet, and he walks up to Vince McMahon. And says, hey, you know what, can I get a picture with you? And they're both dressed very nicely. And Vince says, sure, puts his arm around Brian. Brian puts his arm around him. They're both smiling. Boom, the picture gets taken. That was phase one of the plan. Get the picture with Vince. Brian goes back to WCW because it's coming close to his contract. And he talks to Eric Bischoff. And Bischoff finally does bring him back and has him start working again. So Brian thinks, great, this is this is perfect. I'm back. I'm working now. I can put phase two of this whole thing into play. So Brian decides that he was going to talk to Kevin Sullivan, who was the booker at the time for WCW. So Pillman and Sullivan sit down and talk one night. They decided that they were going to have a work shoot. So what they both decided was this. They were both going to have a fight, and it was going to be so believable that not only Eric Bischoff, not only the boys in the back, not only the executives in in WCW would think that this guy has, has, has lost his mind, has gone rogue. And Kevin Sullivan said he would do whatever it took to, to help Brian at the time because he also knew that Brian wasn't getting used by WCW. So that's what they were doing. So they were trying to portray this as a legitimate fight. And Kim Wood would go on in the book to say, you know, most pro wrestlers are terrible at fighting. In fights, sometimes when they would attempt to fight one another, they would use pro wrestling moves, which clearly did not work. And just to kind of pause here for a second, but this is not the first time we've heard that, uh, I'm not going to say all pro wrestlers, because now in this day and age, you know, a lot of the people who get into wrestling are collegiate wrestlers or you know, they were athletes prior to getting into this, and so they had a little bit more of a background. But, yeah, at that time, you know, 
they would look good in the ring because it was meant to look good. But if push came to shove, very few were truly legitimate badasses and could handle themselves. But once again, Sullivan wanted to help uh, Pillman out. So stage two of the plan, uh, Pillman decided to call Eric Bischoff and kind of clue Bischoff in on the fact that it was a work. So he said, look, here's what we can do. And, and this can be your idea. What we need to do is we need to sell this not only to the talent, but the executives. You need to keep it on the down low that this is a real deal and that you're going to put your foot down and you're not going to stand for this and that you're actually going to release me from my WCW contract because this is insubordination. So Bischoff agrees to this. So now, if you look at Brian's plan, okay, WCW's not going to re-sign me, and if they do, it's going to be for pittance. i got to find a way to get out of my WCW contract, create a buzz, and then go somewhere. And then when it's time for me to sign with somebody, boom, I'll have two companies bidding on me for my services. So everything seems to be going really well. So Bischoff thinks at the end of the day that this is his idea. He, he tells Pillman, that, that's, that's great. I can't believe we've come up with this. And Brian has no problem with letting Eric think that it was his idea. So in the middle of the night, one night, Wood recalls he gets a phone call at the house again. It's, it's Brian. Brian starts to get nervous. Brian tells him on the phone, you know, I've been thinking about this. And, you know, as much time and effort that we've put into this whole thing, what happens if it backfires? What happens if it blows up in my face, it gets exposed for being a work, and now nobody's going to sign me. Bischoff's not going to bring me back, and obviously the WWF hasn't had a chance to really see me, so they're not going to be interested in signing me. Kim said that he told Brian to relax, that the plan was going to work, just stay the course, and everything was going to be fine. So as we look back at WCW, Bischoff was selling this really, really hard that the Pillman situation was a legitimate problem within the company and that anyone who asked Eric behind closed doors, hey, is this, is this legit? Is this a work or a shoot? Eric would tell him that it was, it was a shoot. This was, this was legit and that we were not going to tolerate this kind of behavior in WCW. And in fact, Eric even carried around the release that he had given Brian, proving to everyone how serious he was about this. So now Brian, technically, from a legal perspective, is free and clear. But that's not where it stops. So here's what Brian does now. Brian then, along with, I guess, the assistance of Eric Bischoff at the time, continues to follow WCW all to their house shows and jumps the guardrail you know, because he got allowed in the back door, jumps the guardrail, attacks the guys. I mean, legit attacks people. And he gets hustled out by security. You know, Bischoff then, you know, tells people backstage, this is not going to be accepted, blah, 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 blah. He keeps going along with it because once again, Eric thinks he and Brian, predominantly himself, is the mastermind behind this big shoot work. They were trying to keep authenticity going. Well, Everything seemed to be going fine until one night, Pillman jumps the guardrail, goes after Kevin Sullivan again. This time it was on television, and they make it look real. Sullivan goes for Pillman's eye. 
the announcers aren't aren't addressing any of this because obviously it's it's not on their sheets. It's not supposed to happen. They make it look legitimate. Brian gets hauled off. Kevin's going crazy that he attacked him, all of this. So at that point, it was really at its peak. Well, as well as things had been going in this uh, plan, they kind of hit a, uh, a snafu. Sullivan then ends up cutting a promo on Pillman. So Pillman calls Kim and says, it's, it's gone to shit. And Kim says, what are you talking about? And he says, Sullivan just cut a promo on me, and it was a, a atypical wrestling promo. Now it's completely exposed the fact what we were trying to accomplish was a work the whole time. And, you know, it, it, it just kind of really took the gas out of Brian. In the meantime, Brian also went ahead and he faxed over to all the dirt sheets the photo that was taken, the picture he and Vince McMahon, just to kind of stir the pot even a little more. So at this point in time, Bischoff, you know, obviously sees the dirt sheets. He sees that Pillman has a picture taken with Vince McMahon. He starts thinking, wait a minute, am I getting worked? Which he was. And where is Pillman really coming from? Is Pillman working with Vince? Is this a whole conspiracy with Vince and Pillman on Eric. So at this point, kind of paranoia is kind of running crazy here. The one thing that Brian knew he had to do was now that Bischoff was kind of on the edge, he had to go somewhere. He needed to get on national television. What better place to go to get airtime than ECW? So he ends up reaching out to Paul Heyman and tells Paul, he goes, listen, this is what I want to do. So Paul knew all along what was going on, but Paul didn't smarten up anybody else. Paul knew what was going on. But Paul was just happy to get Brian for as long as he could because he wanted to get the rub from Pillman onto his guys, get some national TV exposure, maybe even get some write-ups in the dirt sheets, you know, continue building a little bit of a spark here for ECW. So Pillman then goes on to ECW television, starts cutting some scathing promos about ECW, cuts scathing comments about their talent, and then he ends up having an interaction with the franchise Shane Douglas. So they start to get into it, and Pillman grabs the microphone and makes a reference to Kevin Sullivan, calling him Booker Man. Well, at this point, Shane Douglas begins to believe this whole thing is a shoot as well. And he tells people, dude, he's out there shooting. He is shooting on people. So now he started to infiltrate and convince people in ECW that the whole thing is a shoot as well. So they decided that they were going to go ahead and they were going to take it one step further. So Pillman goes ahead and he talks to Shane Douglas. And they get in the ring. They had an event that was on March the 8th. It was called the Big Ass Extreme Bash. And it's Pillman and the franchise Shane Douglas in the ring. And Pillman grabs the microphone and starts cutting a promo on Shane Douglas. And he then says this to make it even more believable to everyone that this was a shoot was he goes, you know, that time you spent in the WWF as Dean Douglas, that was a joke. So now he's obviously exposing it even more, basically saying, hey, when you worked for them, you changed your character, you left ECW, which a lot of people didn't like. 
and you really became just a joke of a character. And he said, you know what? A real man doesn't quit a company. A real man gets fired from a company. And that drew a lot of eyes on people because once again, Pillman was pulling back that layer. You know, there, there was a rip in the veil between the world of kayfabe. After that, Pillman decides, you know what? We, we need to come up with yet another idea to keep this thing going. So he took some money that he did have and he started buying commercial time on TV. He was plugging a 900 number for fans to call to find out what was going on with Brian Pillman and where was he going to show up next. Well, the 900 number itself didn't last too terribly long. Um, when people would call into the 900 number and they would pay, I forget what it was, 99 cents or, or $1.99 per minute, um, it was just a, a profanity-laced tirade that Pillman would cut, and uh, it wouldn't last terribly long. So after about two weeks, people caught on to it, and that it was just a way for Brian to vent his frustrations and make some money. But in that few weeks, Brian ended up making over ten grand uh, on the 900 phone number. So just to kind of recap here, Brian spent his time in ECW. He did his thing. Um, you know, he was trying to work Eric Bischoff, who thought Bischoff, Bischoff thought he was in on it, but he really wasn't in on it because the way Brian had crafted the whole plan. So in April of 1996, Pillman uh, purchased a Humvee. But by April the 15th of that year, he wrecked it. The accident was so bad that Pillman was thrown through the roof and he shattered his ankle. Now, according to his good friend Kim Wood, Pillman's longtime friend, uh, Pillman was taken to the hospital when Wood got a chance to get there to see him. He says that Pillman's head was swollen to the size of a basketball, his face had multiple fractures, and his ankle was completely shattered. So Brian's spirits were pretty low at that point. Obviously, he had felt pretty good about where things were going. He got the release. He worked Bischoff to give him the release from WCW, so he was contractually free. Then he was able to jump into ECW, work for them. He had signed a contract with Paul Heyman. Now he's able to do this loose cannon character. Obviously, eyes are going to be on him as well from Titan Towers. So at this point in time, Brian's really hoping either Titan Towers gives him a decent contract or an opportunity to come in, or that Eric Bischoff decides that they have something with Brian and that they're going to give Brian another shot in WCW. Either way, he just wanted to sign a decent contract because he had been in wrestling for a little over six years at this point. So as Brian is injured and he's still recovering, uh, he gets a phone call from the WWF and they actually sign him to a contract. Well, like I said before, that was fine, but he had already previously signed a contract with Paul Heyman. So understanding the situation and knowing, knowing Paul was not going to be able to fight Vince if it came to a legal situation to be able to get the rights to Brian Pillman. Our contract versus your contract, it, it wasn't going to hold up. Um, they made a deal, meaning Vince made a deal with ECW, and they were going to allow Pillman to fulfill you know, the rest of his contractual dates for Paul Heyman, and then at that point in time, he would move over to WWE, which I, I will also say this. It, it, it does show, you know, a respect from the WWF at this point to allow him to at least fulfill his 
contractual obligations to Paul Heyman before coming over to the WWF. But in Pillman's last ECW appearance on TV, even though, like we said before, he never worked a singles match, Pillman attacked Mikey Whipwreck with a, I believe it was a crutch, and uh, he then gave the endorsement to Rob Van Dam, who was new to the company. And uh, even though Heyman knew he wasn't able to keep Pillman, he was happy that he was able to use Pillman enough to help give the rub to some of his talent, which was good because it, it did help them on a national audience level as well. Now, before the accident and eventually signing with the WWF, Pillman uh, was really one of the innovators of social media. So let's let's take a pause here and let's look at the time frame here. So 1995, 1996, the internet was very much, I mean very much in its infancy when it came to both the WWF and to wrestling and to everything. It was, it was basic. But according to Kim Wood, Brian would stay up sometimes all night in chat rooms, in wrestling forums, finding ways to just read what the wrestling fans were saying and then interact with them as well to create a buzz because Brian knew that if I'm not going to be on TV, this internet thing there's a lot of people that are out there that I could connect with just from my home. So Brian was, was really an innovator when it came to that. He was really dedicated to making sure that he kept this thing going. Unfortunately, Brian's ankle injury, as we all know, would not heal. Brian would have to go back to the hospital multiple times. The doctor would have to re-break the ankle, hoping that it would once again heal. Uh, after several attempts, the doctors told Brian that he was going to have to have fusion surgery and they were going to have to fuse the ankle. Well, they fused the ankle. However, Brian was in a lot of pain, according to, to Kim. A lot of pain and he started taking painkillers. And as we all know, taking painkillers, there's only one road when it comes to taking painkillers. And uh, it's not one that leads anywhere good. And Brian became addicted to painkillers. Kim said, the last time my son and I actually saw Brian at a public appearance was at a comic book store. Kim says, and I quote, he was gone. He had been taking Mexican quaaludes and somas. Everyone I talked to said that on the current path, they'd be surprised if he was alive in two weeks. They were right. Roughly two weeks after that visit at the comic book store, Brian Pillman passed away. So on October 5th of 1997, Pillman was scheduled to be a part of the WWF's monthly pay-per-view up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, but he was found dead in his hotel room. His cause of death was uh, eventually listed as a heart attack, and the medical examiners found that Pillman had an enlarged heart, which they had attributed to the use of growth hormone. Kim Wood would say, even though Brian had passed away, in that period of time, that he and Brian worked together with this whole plan of getting out of WCW, getting a better contract. It actually all worked out. Unfortunately, Brian's lifestyle kind of got in the way. The car accident, the multiple surgeries, unsuccessful, and then they had to fuse the ankle. And it just became really difficult on Brian. And once again, he got hooked on painkillers. And at that point, it's very, very difficult very difficult for people who have been taking prescription medication, especially for, for ailments that have been lingering for a while, to get off of them. And 
a lot of people also remember, you know, you would see Brian Pillman in a wheelchair in the WWF, and you would also see him on crutches. And, you know, Brian still tried to go out there and perform, and McMahon tried to use Pillman in ways that were not necessarily wrestling-related, but they wanted to use his personality. They realized Brian had a lot of charisma. They realized that that Brian was very, very marketable and that he was part of what they were building up to, which was the Attitude Era, and that Brian fit perfectly in there with the Attitude Era. Unfortunately, in October of 97, you know, Brian's personal life caught up to him and Brian passed away. And it's a shame, too, because... I think that we would have seen a good four or five year run in WWF if Brian had been able to uh, stay healthy, stay clean. You know, we we'd seen him; he done done commentary in the WWF before. They tried to find ways to use Brian. Unfortunately, you know, there's only so much a wrestling promotion can do. There's only so much a Vince McMahon can do. Usually, your biggest enemy is yourself, and. You know, Brian Brian lived life on the edge. I mean, obviously he wasn't the biggest guy in the world, but he became a pro football player when no one thought that was going to happen. You know, Brian had a lot of health situations growing up as a child as well. So, you know, he really kind of defied the odds in, in many ways. But I thought this chapter was fascinating. I wanted to kind of give you a timeline and kind of go through this with you. Love to get your feedback on this. What your thoughts are on Chapter 9, Brian Pillman. I'm going to talk to Mikey and Jerry because I would really like to do a Brian Pillman episode on Front Row Material. And if you guys would be digging that, I think I can definitely uh, get that done because I think there's so much more to the Brian Pillman life and legacy in wrestling than what we covered here in this episode. So, Brian Pillman. Love to hear what your thoughts are with Brian Pillman. Did you ever get a chance to see Brian Pillman perform either in WCW or the WWF, or maybe you'd been the ECW arena when he was there for that very short period of time? Love to know your thoughts thoughts on that. Um, I personally, when it comes to Brian Pillman memories, wow, I'll remember him as being a part of the Four Horsemen. I will remember him being a part of the Hart Foundation, I will remember his legendary matches with Jushin Liger. I will remember his very successful tag team run with Steve Austin in the Hollywood Blondes. I'll just remember Brian for being a very unique athletic performer that evolved. And he evolved from being that, that smiley nice guy who would give the fist pump after he won a match to being this loose cannon. And obviously the Road Warriors had a big influence on him to start to change the way his personality was. And it's interesting to see how wrestlers, much like anybody, you know, they pass information to each other. Hey, this worked for me. You might want to try this. And Brian stayed in character at all times too. And it was one of those things where Brian legitimately made people believe he was crazy. But I think that was also the appealing factor of Brian the second half of his career because it became something you wanted to see if Brian Pillman was on TV. Like he would say and do stuff that you would look at it and go, wait a minute, I don't think he was supposed to do that. And it made it edgy. And like I said, if Brian had been alive when they had really kicked it in the Attitude Era and really gone forward through it through the the mid to late 90s into 2000, I think we would have seen a lot more of Brian Pillman.
But that is going to do it for Chapter 9. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, I really enjoyed reading about this. I did not know about his relationship with Kim Wood, who was the strength and conditioning coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. I did not know that uh, his relationship with Brian, he was part of the hatching of this entire plan. I thought that was fascinating to know as well. And also to know that you know how far Brian would go to get really what he wanted. And uh, I just thought it was a great chapter. So Love to hear your feedback on this, like I said before. Love to hear your thoughts on Brian Pillman. Uh, for many years, they had a Brian Pillman Memorial here in Cincinnati. And um, it was awesome. And it was a major card that WWF, WCW, and ECW guys, it was the one time that all three promoters, Bischoff, Heyman, and McMahon, would all allow their talent to come there for the sake of raising money for his family. And um, pretty cool. Love to get a chance to talk to Brian Pillman Jr. because I know he's a, a tremendous talent as well. But um, yeah, pretty cool. I'm going to be posting some clips on Twitter, sharing with you guys some of my favorite Brian Pillman moments as well. And you can never forget the Pillman-Steve Austin situation with the gun. When I saw that on TV, I thought, oh my gosh. Uh, it was just, it was amazing. He and Steve Austin made magic. So, all right, guys, that's going to do it. I hope you guys are having a wonderful Monday. Remember, coming up this week on Wednesday, front row material, and then again on Friday, we're going to have the false finish. So a lot of things coming your way, brought to you by front row material. Check us out on social media. I am at Mike Freeland. You can follow Mikey Whipwreck at Mikey Whipwreck underscore, and you can follow Jerry Lynn at at It's Jerry Lynn. I think I said everything that I need to say. Oh, yeah, if you want to buy a T-shirt, please go on over to Pro Wrestling Tees. You can go ahead and find Front Row Material shirts. You can find Jerry Lynn shirts, and you can find Mikey Whipwreck shirts. All right, I think that's everything I need to say. Like I said, I hope you guys are having a great Monday. Can't wait to uh, bring you guys Front Row Material on Wednesday. And once again, the false finish on Friday. All right, that's going to do it. We will talk to you guys next time when we cover Chapter 10, entitled A Matter of Respect. I'm Mike Freeland, and we'll catch you next time. The world of NLW Radio never stops. stops.